Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Last session with Sophia, we spoke about the relationship between artist, viewer, and subject in erotic art. I want to talk more about activism in art, how it can comment on society, challenge our thoughts and opinions, induce emotional experiences, and offer a space to process challenging subject matter. We talk briefly about consent and art. In and amongst these conversations, we somehow get off topic, so content warning for bestiality. Don't ask, just you'll have to listen to the session. <laughs> We also talk very briefly about a warehouse fire in California where unfortunately some people died. These are the kinds of organic things that come up when Sophia and I are talking. We go all over the place. However, somehow this episode we managed to stay pretty much on topic other than those two major instances. So content warning for that as well. And with those things in mind, let's go to the session with Sophia here on Intimate Interactions. That sounds good to me. Oh, good. Awesome. Because you're the important one here. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. <laughs> so I'll welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm sitting with Sophia Skye, the director of Pan Eros Foundation, a nonprofit organization that focuses on celebrating and cultivating sexuality through education and the arts. Their two largest programs are the Consent Academy, which I like, and the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival, which I also like. Now, you originally, in the last episode, promised me a quick explanation about why you were so proud of the historic Pioneer Square neighborhood of, of Seattle. So, part of the reason for that is the idea that so much of Seattle was built upon sex work. Mm. Um, when one of the uh, wealthiest people uh, of the very early side of uh, Seattle being settled mm -hmm. died... She had no heirs, and she left all of her money to the city of Seattle for them to start a school. What? Yes. That is really thoughtful. Yes, and unfortunately, her name escapes me at the present moment. That's okay. But so there is also a was a big uh, uh, when the U.S. Census came around to Seattle. There, um, a awful lot of seamstresses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. um, in Seattle. <laughs> okay. At least that's what uh, women were saying that their occupation was. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot about the different buildings in Pioneer Square where it was like 
a saloon or a bar downstairs, and there were rooms upstairs. For seamstresses. For seamstresses. For them to do their work. That's fair. Because they would take alterations at all times of day or night when everybody needed it. Taking your clothes off, and of course, they have to feel your body to make sure that they get the proportions right. Exactly, to get a good fit. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's really exciting that we're an erotic art gallery in Pioneer Square where all the body houses were. That's great. Yeah, so I feel like we're, you know, we fit. (laughs) Totally. And that's actually an unintentional but perfect segue into the episode topic, which is going to be focusing on challenging social norms and how art and art organizations such as Paneros do that or attempt to do that work. Attempt is a great word. Attempt is a great word because social norms are very hard to successfully challenge. That is very true. (laughs) Um, Even trying to get like a license for anything sex on premises is so fucking hard in Vancouver. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it not as hard in Seattle? I wouldn't know because we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves the public. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't we don't have like members. We don't have the expectation of privacy because we Mm. do serve the public. Right. So one of the ways that we support those types of events to happen is by having an event space, our Gallery Arado, Mm -hmm. is to allow people to rent it as a private rental. Oh, and once it's a private rental, they can do what they want in they that space. They can do what they want, and then it's private. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's our sneaky little way of supporting the sex-positive community and having their events like that. in a really safe space as mm-hmm. far as um, they don't have to worry that we're going to regulate what, way they, what, what they do in their events. Mm-hmm. With the exception is that I'm really not interested in having any kind of open flame um, because I have art. <laughs> That's fair. And art is expensive and flames sometimes destroy art. It's very true. Especially <laughs> in a brick building like we are, where there really is nothing to burn up except for the art and my wooden oh, floors, of course. Yeah, that would be very unfortunate. Yeah. So I do I, I do put a little bit of a damper, pardon the pun, um, on <laughs> those peop- fireplace people's fun. Yep, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, we have the same restrictions at the Maritime Labor Center in Vancouver. We aren't allowed to do any open flames. Mm-hmm. And, and also it's tricky in the city of Seattle because uh, there are actually fire performer permits oh. in the city of Seattle. Okay. And because if you're in a club doing fire play and people are around you, they are technically considered audience according to right. the Seattle fire, fire marshals. That's fair. So those licenses are in the realm of $350 for each occurrence. Oh, wow. So. Gets pricey. It gets very pricey. And the performer has to, the performer, I'm putting in air quotes. Has to apply for the license. Yeah. And you mm. can, and so like the venue doesn't have one, the performer has one. So right. it's not like, oh, well, we'll just get our venue right. rated for that. No, they have to individually get. Exactly. So yeah. it makes it prohibitive. So that's, that's the type of play that people have to do in their homes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you know, or be outside the Seattle city limits. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Right. <laughs> yeah, rave party style. Mm-hmm. Just be like, we're all getting together in a warehouse to do fire play. Ah, no. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a really horrific event where there was oh, a party no. happening in a, a warehouse that was 
pretty rundown. It was the um, it was a ghost ship in Oakland, California, and a okay. lot of people died. Oh no! Right, so that's horrible. So we don't joke about Got fires you. in warehouses too soon. Too Way soon. too soon. Got it's it. Only, it's only been like three and a half years. Oh geez, that's very recent. <laughs> or th- almost three years. Wow. Well, that's junk. Yep. We don't like that. This is the downside of unregulated spaces is sometimes they're decrepit and don't meet code for things. Right. It's and that balancing act of too much regulation keeps people from being in how being yeah. homed yeah. and housed. Yeah. And too little makes people unsafe. Uh, mm-hmm. So how much do you think about challenging social norms in your selection processes at CIF and at the gallery? They figure fairly highly uh, as one of my goals for the Seattle Erotic Art Festival and now that we have the Gallery Erato I want to share art with people that will help broaden their ideas of what is joyful intimate rewarding relationships or interactions Mm -hmm. can you tell me a story about a painting where you feel like you really knocked that one out of the park Mm. Ooh, let me think for just one second. I'm sure you have so many stories. I do. I'm just trying to think of a really good one that would actually fit for this. We might need to come back to this question because okay. it deserves some really good thought. And I'm, I'm only coming up with not very good examples. Examples. That's okay. Yeah, like, uh, it, well, <clears throat> I'll share the story in case you decide that it fits. Sure. So one time, um, and this is this is more of a story around seeing how difficult it can be to change people's ideas of what their perceptions are is once I was in, um, uh, with my partner in his studio when there was a big art walk going on and it was, uh, one of those ones where you get a map and you go around to all 20 art studios and you see what each artist has, that they create. Um, And the idea being is that it was a working studio tour so that the artists would be working while people showed up so that they would be painting or, you know, whatever it was that their art was while people were walking through. Mm -hmm. And this was actually Jim Duvall and he was, is quite well known for a lot of his bondage photography. Mm -hmm. And so he had it set up so that as people walked in the space, he tried to like ease them into the idea that this is getting going to be more and more of a progressively erotic atmosphere and started out with implied nudes at the front door. And by the time people got inside, that's where he had more of his fetish photography. Mm-hmm. One woman uh, who came in was quite agitated and said, well, why are all the people who tied up, who are tied up look like women? Mm-hmm. And Jim said, well, that's because right now, this month, there is going to be the Folsom Street Fair um, down in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I have all of my art that has men in right. bondage right. is down there for this show. Right. They asked for everything, so I sent. I don't Them have literally, anything left. So I literally only have the most mainstream looking picture. Exactly. That's ironic. I like that. <laughs> so All my queer stuff is at the giant queer festival. Imagine that. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and, and she, you know, she kind of had the attitude of, oh, likely story. I'm watching this. And so I happened to be in a piece of art that was on the wall. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture of 
uh, me in the background, uh, and in the foreground is a penis in a penis cage. Okay. And so I was like, well, this is a man in bondage. And the way the picture is set up is that it's a little bit of a trick because you focus face, on you. The face is a little bit blurry. So right. you want to get a little closer to kind of try to get the face more in focus. And then suddenly you realize you're looking at a penis. A penis in a cage. Right. And he also printed it so that it was, um, it was larger than life. So it was, awesome. more, it was literally like, not, not a baby's arm, but like my arm. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> um, and it was kind of one of those pieces to kind of force people to like uh, uh, jar them out of their internal homophobia. Right. At the same time, while celebrating this concept of female dominion. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, well, what about this piece right here? And the woman kind of leans forward a little bit, squints her eyes and says, well, I guess that could be a man in the background there. <laughs> and did not even see the penis in the penis cage. <laughs> and... I just didn't know what to say. Like, I just stopped saying anything. And sh this woman was very vindicated that I couldn't even prove that there wow. was a man in bondage anywhere in there. And so I'm really careful with the idea of that I can make <clears throat> things available to kind of change people's mm -hmm. opinions. But when one wants to see the world a certain way, yeah. we're going to look for the things that support. Uh, our views, you know, right. confirmation bias. It's just a natural human thing that I don't, Yeah, that it's hard to get around. And unless somebody is in the space where they can open right. up a little bit. One, um, on the other side of that story, one of my favorite going to CIF, uh, Seattle Erotic Art Festival, when it was a big challenge for somebody, was um, one of our, uh, our staff committee members. Mm-hmm had told people at work what he was working on. And so this guy and his wife decided that they were going to come check it out. And my friend saw them come in, got to say hi to them as they were walking in, but then never saw them again. So when he, right. after the weekend was over, he checked in and said, so I lost track of you. Did you have a good time? And his coworker said, well... We only stayed 15 minutes and decided that it wasn't for us. Wow. Um, and then kind of shared a little bit about their background, that they both had a uh, conservative Christian upbringing, and, but that they had a really good conversation about what they saw and why it wasn't, it wasn't the right place for them to be. Hmm. And, that they, and they were like, we're really glad we went. Um, and we're really glad this exists in the world, but it's just not for us. Hmm. And interestingly enough, that's one of my most favorite stories about somebody going to the art festival because they were brave enough to do something out of their comfort zone and still happy about that it. That it's even in the though, world, yeah. Even though it wasn't right for them. That is a lovely story. There's something about that awareness, just providing awareness and having folks realize like oh like lots of other normal people are going to these things mm -hmm. and that's okay it's just really not for me that's that's a not a bad response at all mm -hmm. 
Another piece of art that I'm now remembering, mm -hmm. uh, which was a cons more conceptual piece, mm -hmm. and it was, um, is it okay to talk about, bring up the concept of a bestiality before I go any further? Um, yes. I don't think there's anything that's really not allowed on the show, and it is okay. all marked as explicit content. But okay. I will put a content warning in for folks who don't feel like it's acceptable, but please... All of the bestiality away. Okay, fabulous. So there was, uh, and this was, I want to say this was like in 2000 and 2009, I think. And we had an artist who had taken a photo of uh, the backside of a dog with a woman holding up the tail and her lips very close to the dog's butthole. Huh. And they wanted to do this piece to be like, yo, bestiality happens. It's regular people having fun with their pets and, you know, just kind of like a putting it in people's face. Well, then that's they, definitely putting a dog's butthole right in someone's face. Yeah. Exactly. So, yep. but, but what happened was, is the artist was kind of like, ah, I'm not so sure I'm really ready to make this statement. What if people think I think that or that I'm okay with it or that that's what I do? Right. So what they decided to do is they submitted the photo and they literally printed it one half inch by one half inch. Okay. So. It's a I, tiny little square. Right. Smaller than a, a American postage stamp. That's really small. Yes. And they did that they decided to still submit it because it is something that's out there but nobody wants to look at it became their artistic statement wow and so it was so small they did not include like a magnifying glass or anything about that right it's like here's a really small picture that of someone holding a dog by its tail mm -hmm. and being very close to the anus yes about to kiss it i would I would guess sure. uh, having having been one of the few people that saw the the, the actual uh, actual blown up version. Yeah, and it was just kind of like it's like ah oh, come on that's that you're making pretend. I I get what you're trying to say here, but yeah. it's like it it's implying that bestiality is going to happen. And so I was a little I was like okay, well this is an interesting way to put this out there in the world. But it's also kind of not really challenging because you're right. you're doing this hiding thing. It's pulling the punch. Exactly. The best part about having this piece in the show is that I invited another artist who's from New York. Her name is Michelle Surchuk. She's an amazing artist. Mm -hmm. She's actually, we inducted her as one of our masters of erotic art um, because she just does amazing job taking what, uh, what, she calls erotic portraits where mm -hmm. she does these portraits of people in relationship to their fetishes. Mm. That is just absolutely, it, it, it takes these one dimensional caricatures that we have of people who have fetishes and yeah. makes them into fully fleshed, complex human beings. That's and great. she gets that across in her photography. That's incredible. Um, I'm, you know, fangirling here. <laughs> <laughs> You're not um, a fangirl. <laughs> oh, good. So I, I asked Michelle, I'm like, I really respect you. Will you come and do an art tour? Of course, please talk about your own art, but anything that you want to talk about. And so Michelle decided that she was not going to do an art talk. She was going to have an art conversation. Okay. And she says, okay, everybody, 
I'm going to walk around to all the pieces of art that I have questions about, and you're going to answer them for me. Love it. So I followed her around on her tour, and she walked up to this piece. And she said, this piece right here, I'm pretty sure that this person, this artist, hates old people because it's so damn small, I can't see what it is. What does this mean? Why is it here? <laughs> and so she got everybody to go look really close at it, not knowing what it was, because Amazing. she couldn't see what it was. Amazing. And so unknowingly, she got people Talking. to challenge themselves to be like, well, I think, is that a dog? Oh, it's a dog's butt. Is that what are they doing? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, so that was one of those beautiful moments where I think the artist did not succeed in making uh in challenging society, but someone else made a way to do it. That's completely impressive. Completely unintentionally. That's great. <laughs> That's actually quite funny. She's like, oh well, I got my question answered. Whether right. I wanted the answer or not, it's been answered. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Bestiality is a challenging one to talk about at all because mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much stigma in society and people like a lot of a lot of stigma that gets challenged on the grounds of either safety or consent is like inassailable. So mm -hmm. then the question becomes like, what about it is inherently unsafe or what about it is inherently non-consensual? Mm hmm. It's it's so interesting to me when you think about all the things that people do to their pets. And I'm I'm saying this as a person who loves animals, who does not participate in bestiality, don't worry. You don't need to flame war me on the internet. I'm just I'm just saying. Um, like someone who is an active Volker volunteer that takes care of rescues and like helps mm -hmm. rehabilitate them to get them into their forever homes. Like I believe very strongly in Volker's mission and like you know, like I'm an animal person. And if if a male dog who has not been um, who's not been neutered full on starts humping your leg, how are you saying that if you didn't pull your pants down and get on the ground that you wouldn't have full consent of that animal? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like if that animal wants to hump you, you probably have consent. And if it's not inherently dangerous to the animal, probably doing okay. Mm-hmm. I don't have much of an opinion on this yeah. because it has no charge for me. And at the same sure. time, I've tried to get animals to do things that they don't want to. Okay, like trying to get them to sit or like <laughs> anything not come inside pee the house. On your, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So there's a little part of me that's like, you know, I have a little skepticism over whether they can consent or not. I think they're yeah, that's fair. Their nose are probably more teethy than like I, the average yeah. person. I think honestly, I think it's probably like clear enough if an animal doesn't want you to do something with them and i think there is ha huh, the rub um <laughs> that i think people inherently don't trust i'm so sorry it was I had to um that people don't trust um folks that practice bestiality to be consensual in what they're doing but i think most people who have ever owned a dog know inherently when that dog is like don't make me do the thing or is like i'm not doing the thing no matter how hard you try and make me or is like yeah, I, I can do that thing. I don't really care. Or is like, yeah, let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. Like there's really clear body language that you can get off of animals. And mm -hmm. like dogs especially are really good at communicating with humans. It makes sense that over all of the years that we have, we have domesticated dogs and like bred them into all these different types of animals for all these different purposes, much of that breeding leading to long-term life problems, severe losses of quality of life and increased chronic pain for these animals 
And we're saying that the worst thing we can do is let a really excited pooch that wants to pooch you, as it were, um, <laughs> you know, go to town. I'm like, it's not for me. But like, I'm not going to judge folks that do that. If they're doing so consensually in a way that doesn't harm the animal, I don't fucking care. Plain and simple. There's my rant. I'm so sorry I derailed this. But once we brought up the issue, I was like, we might as well dissect it a little bit. But I, I'm okay with it. I agree with you. It's not something that like holds a specific sexual charge for me where I'm going to be like, yes, let's go have sex with all the horses or whatever. I'm, mm-hmm. I get that some people are super into that. Again, it comes back to, is the animal consenting? Is the animal in any pain? Is it causing any undue psychological stress? Like those sorts of things. And I, I don't know what consent looks like in a dog or a horse. I have a pretty good idea of what it looks like in a dog because I feel like I've been around dogs a lot, but I'm not a dog owner. But I feel like the people that do this stuff like have some idea of these things. So I'm just saying, let's not 100% say it is always evil. Let's just give people space to like practice their kink consensually if that's a thing that folks want to do and their pets want to do as well with them. <laughs> I did not imagine that we were going to go here. I also did not imagine we were going to go here. But hey, there's another way that but, this one and a half inch by one and a half inch square painting or, mm-hmm. or photograph, I guess. Sorry, mm-hmm. photograph. Who knows? Maybe they put it through a Photoshop filter. Just a single one. A commonly used single one. Clearly, I'm not saying anything negative about any of the images that I just looked at. Please submit your right to see if it's important. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Golly gee, there was a lot of art this year. It was an awful lot of art, and I'm so proud of you for getting through it all. Thank you. Because that's it was a lot over of 1,200 pieces. I it's think a lot it of was pieces. 1,229. Which we boiled down to like 184 or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was a, it was less than 200 pieces. So we yep. unfortunately had to axe like five out of every six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of painful. Yeah, we lost some ones that I was like, oh, it's unfortunate that's not going to get in because I really like that one. Well, but. you know what? Maybe that'll happen. And we do have the final round of voting where people mm-hmm. are, you know, making their last selections online. So. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, we'll we'll probably get another. Uh, I, I'd like to get it up to an even 200 because okay. we also have invited art, too, which will push us right, up to right. about 250. Great. 250 different pieces. That's exciting. Right. So I'm curious, do you find that in that selection process that Seif, like that process of selecting art for Seif specifically, because you're selecting so much art at once, do you find your opinions challenge the pieces more or the pieces challenge your opinions more? Because I feel like it's an interplay of those two things. I would definitely have to say an interplay. And also I'm thinking about how is how is our world changing around us right now? Mm. So right now we're working for the for the gallery and also for Seif as well at at Larger's. We're working on having a very official anti-oppressive, anti-racism policy and how we choose art, which is inherently difficult Mm. um, because those are such subjective things on one level and very cut and dried easy on other levels. So being able to respect the different ways that people perceive uh, different pieces of art is going to be really tricky because there's always going to be someone who is um, unaware of a culture. Mm -hmm. And so if I make a piece of art and I depict something that is true from my experience, Mm -hmm. you can look at the same piece of art coming from a different experience, from a different cultural background and say, that's horrifyingly uh, disrespectful. Sure. And am I being disrespectful because it, I don't know? 
I mean, is it because I don't know because I've never been to um, a different country or I've never been to another culture? Sure. Or is it dis- is it ignorance based on the, come on, these are your neighbors around the corner. Why did you not know, you know, that this wasn't a cool thing to uh, exhibit or say? Mm-hmm. So that's been a really big thing in our forefront right now. Um, so right now I'm inclined to say that my opinions are challenging are the challenging art. The art. <clears throat> yeah, there's that distinction between like um, technical anti-oppression of saying like, cool, we've all agreed as a board this is a priority and we've mm-hmm. put out a policy. And then there's that substantive anti-oppression. And it's it's one of those chicken and egg sorts of things mm-hmm. where you're always going to have like those forerunners or those mavericks or the people that are um they're yeah just really early to the show that have always been making art and that are like cool i have all this like racial racialized art for lack of a better term or just have art that happens to have lots of different kinds of people in it It doesn't even Mm -hmm. have to be specifically racialized just even seeing more folks behind the camera even Mm -hmm. even though you don't see them i'm aware of the irony there but also folks in front of the camera and just trying to have more groups of people doing those sorts of things. And then you, through the lens of their experience, again, pardon the pun, you end up seeing different things, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel that way about queer photography, at least. Um, and I'm sure it, it translates to other identities, where you just put certain people behind a camera and they'll just take pictures of different things. Mm-hmm. It's very true. We were having a really difficult time uh, a bunch of years ago getting a adequate in my opinion representation Mm. of trans and non-binary uh art and artists so what we did is let's see this was i want to say 2015 i went to um gay city um and they put me in touch with the ingersoll gender center and i got hooked up with this amazing artist puppeteer um, actually, no, I, I don't think they were puppets, but they were mostly dolls that he made and trans masculine person, absolute joy to work with and curated and got 12 different artists to submit uh, and being. And so we had one, we had, uh, we had one whole gallery that was just these artists. Um, this person was their own. They were, they were our guest curator. So we didn't curate at all. We just said, be be as open and broad-minded as you can be. And we got some really cool, weird stuff. We got some other stuff that was like, okay, this is a photograph of two people embracing that I can't see anything about them that says queer or gender. Right. Nothing. So 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 they may be trans mask or queer or whatever, but it's not depicted in the picture. But it's not depicted in the picture. So it was this really nice, like, yes, look at that. That is somewhere where you mashed up a penis and a vulva, and that's really cool. I totally see that sculpture as uh, being in that intersex area or that transitioning mm. genitalia section. That's really cool and interesting, and I never thought about what it could look like. And other things where you were looking at the art going, how is this any different from what a straight person would make? Mm -hmm. Um, which was, I think, a beautiful spectrum to be able to have. Yeah. The next year, um, just having those 12 artists, and I think it worked out to be 18 pieces of art. The next year in our submissions was the single biggest amount of volume and different types of art of having models depicted who were non-binary or who were trans awesome it was 
the most wonderful thing to like, it was a very easy thing of like, okay, we, we challenged all those artists mm-hmm. and we taught them mm-hmm. what they needed to put out in the world and what mattered yeah. in the world. Um, and it's, it's interesting because now we've, uh, that stabilized for a little while. And this year I noticed that we had a little bit less, mm-hmm. um, I'm recognizing some of the names of the artists still of like, oh yeah, we've had that artist before that person uh, identifies as trans and this person, you know, identifies as non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, but the art is not as much in your face and I'm wondering why that is. So I was a little sad this year that there wasn't as much to pick from mm. as far as uh, having a good representation of gender, of gender nonconforming stuff. Yeah. 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 Gender nonconforming stuff is really awesome. I love seeing it. Um, it's very validating as like a non-binary person myself, mm-hmm. but also like I have a lot of trans friends and I have yeah. a lot of friends that are non-binary and nonconforming. So when I see the art, it just feels really reaffirming of my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's a world that I want to create. My kid uh, identifies as agender and mm. you know, it's my job as a parent to make sure that I'm making a world that my child is going to flourish in. And mm-hmm. yes, they're 24. They're not, uh, they're, they're my adult. They're not my child anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but still like, I don't think a mother is, feels like I that. I still have to make sure they're safe. Yeah. Yeah. I hear, I hear you. Mm-hmm. And there's a long way to go before I think I feel like my trans friends are safe or yeah. that if I'm wearing lipstick and nail polish that I'm necessarily safe outside of like the downtown core of Vancouver where I feel very safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think it's one of the safest places to be like so many different kinds of things because they're just like there's so many different kinds of minority groups and mm-hmm. specifically sexual identity minority groups. Yeah. Anyways, suffice to say, I feel safe there, but also um that is one only one identity Mm -hmm. right there are going to be other marginalized identities that maybe don't feel safe so can't speak for them um so speaking of that sense of feeling safe what was your last experience with art that felt dangerous to you or that challenged you in some way Hmm. i'm having trouble thinking of one particular piece of art but i do know that there is a certain type of art that i get uncomfortable having favorable reactions to. <laughs> okay. Especially in regards to like like heterosexual norms or uh white American standards of beauty. Um so it's almost like the normative art is uncomfortable when you have a really positive reaction because you feel like you're trying to I don't to... want to have a positive reaction to it, but there are still certain things sure. that you know, touching my brain because I grew up in this culture. Sure. And so that's something that is probably what I get most uncomfortable about. Um, I went to uh, the Seattle Art Museum had some 500-year-old paintings like I got to see in El Greco. Um, And I got to see Artemisia's piece, you know, the one, I I forget the name of it, but where she's like beheading the the bad guy who just happens to have the face of her, of her mentor that raped her. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, basically using his face in, in light of this Bible story as kind of like an exorcism is what people say that that painting was about. And it's, 
really amazing, you know, works of art by this woman who literally had to be five times better than everybody else to be considered right. equal. Right. And then looking at all these other, like, paintings of popes and... And it was just like, I don't even want to think they're good because I don't like what, you know, it's so It's almost like they represent the repression of all of this talent or the oppression of all these people. Exactly. So I can't look at this, this beautifully executed portrait because all I can think of is... How many more what of that those. means. Right. Yeah. How many more of those of those artists just never got a chance? Right. Because they're um, only twice as good or three times as good, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those questions of like we lost so much historically because mm-hmm. we just didn't accept the talent and expertise of like half of the species. Yep. It's true. And it's just it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for everyone to have lost all that talent, all those engineers, all those scientists. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still are highly underrepresented in STEM fields. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And it's not because, it's honestly, in my opinion, not because there's a resistance even to going into those fields necessarily. All of the friends that I have that are in those fields that are femme talk about how much harassment there is. Mm-hmm. It's significant. It's a problem. We need to work on this. I agree. Yeah. Um, right. Talking about art that felt dangerous or challenged us. I'm curious to talk about consent in art. Because when art, like, squicks us out or feels really uncomfortable, um, there's this idea that, like, you can't unsee things. Mm -hmm. So if an artist showcases something that's really disturbing, there's almost this, like, gray area of consent. Because it's like blanket consent. Mm-hmm. And people don't like blanket consent. They typically see it as not consent, especially when you're talking about, like, owner-property dynamics mm-hmm. or that kind of power play. But the second you say, you know, if I walk into an art gallery and there happens to be a triggering painting, I didn't consent to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I gave but blanket did, consent. Right, but did you right. consent to it? Because art, some people would argue that art is meant to be challenging. Mm. That art is I, not I, decoration. I agree. I completely agree with you. So that's, and that's something that I really want to play around with that idea. And we've actually started having the Consent Academy have consent advocates at our events, not only for, you know, in case somebody gets too handsy and they, you know, there's a bad experience and we need to take care of people and, and having consent advocates on hand to take care of people emotionally while security is handling the physical safety of people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think is really important. But one of the things that I would also like them to be able to provide support for is the idea that you can't, you can't give fully informed consent when you walk into an art festival Mm -hmm. because If I say we have an anti-oppression policy and we make sure to be very careful in choosing all of our art and that it upholds the standards of this and this and that and that, there is still going to be a a piece of art that offends everybody's sensibilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And and there's just no way around that. Mm -hmm. Just like I try to get as much art as possible so that there's at least one piece of art that you can connect with when you come in there. Mm -hmm. And so you can see yourself represented. So you can see something of your sexuality or gender 
reflected back to you. And the flip side of that is someone's going to be offended by the fact that there's someone like me or someone that's exactly not like them. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even know what, mm. what's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, and how we're going to respond to something. It's way too varied. So I can say, hey, content warning, when you come to the Seattle Erotic Art Festival, you're going to see all kinds uh, of art. different representations of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say that to somebody and in their head they'll go, oh, but not this, of course. Nobody would ever think <laughs> that that was okay. Right. And so they walk in thinking that they'll be okay. And then they see the thing that in their mind they could have never conceived of anybody wanting to right. uh, find right, joy right there on someone. a postage stamp right <laughs> so it's really really hard how do i i i want to protect people and i want them to feel safe but that's kind of not what art is for mm. art has been used for centuries as you know tools against oppression mm-hmm. and one of the ways it does that is through satire one of the ways that it does that is through shaking things up and being offensive to you know like so uh there was the i, I forget the artist's name but there was that whole uh in the 80s it was a piece of art called piss christ <laughs> where it was a crucifix in a glass of piss okay it does nothing for me, but then I did not grow up in, in a Judeo-Christian right. situation. Um, so uh, to me, it has no charge. To a lot of people, that has a huge charge. And they have every right to find that offensive. And there are going to be other people that are going to see that and get something out of it that makes them look at their religion and their religious beliefs that might make them go, hmm, you know, and that's why that it was meant to be offensive because it was meant to shock people into thinking something different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's going to and that can harm people. We can't get away from that fact that sometimes art is emotionally harmful. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that goes back to more of a risk aware framework of if people know there is that risk. They kind of have the ability to give a less than best practices consent where they're mostly informed, but they're informed that there are going to be things they can't be informed about. Right. And and how do we how do we get that across to people? I'm right. hoping I'm getting it across to people by saying this is the Seattle Erotic Art Festival. There's erotic natured, erotic themed art at this place. At about it's a, every it's a, kind. Of... It's a big festival. You know, mm-hmm. and that's something that we're hoping that this policy will help craft a little bit. That'll come come out of this policy is that some kind of just statement that we can have to mm-hmm. get people a little more aware that they are going to be challenged, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be challenged by by who knows what. Right. And you know, I'm sh- my hope is that I'll get so good at it in letting people know and be ready for anything that they feel. Like the challenge is something that they can accept willingly mm-hmm. and that it won't be emotionally damaging to right. them. But at the same time, as much as I do my best, there's always going to be something I don't foresee or I don't use sure. the right words. Sure. Or um, just because they prefer very traditional values and something really extreme is being depicted, that can be emotionally harmful too. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they could just not see right. uh, what's there because their filters are so intense. Right. And that's another difficult thing is, you know, like the person not saying... the penis cage. Right, not seeing the man in bondage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
totally. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Talked a lot. I really like the conversation about consent specifically. Mm-hmm. I think it's super neat too because if we're talking about this risk-aware um, consent framework, like the idea of approaching consent, or I should say approach, um, of this thing that is risk-aware. Like sometimes you know that you won't be able to be completely informed and we just accept those risks in so many aspects of life. Even when you get into a car and drive, there are all of these understandings. People are going to follow the rules of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, if you drive quote-unquote correctly, you won't get in an accident. Like people have these like, I almost want to say delusions about how dangerous driving is. It's- oh, humans are notorious notoriously bad at um, we shouldn't be risk allowed. assessment. Like we shouldn't we shouldn't be allowed to do our own risk assessment almost because we're <laughs> terrible at it and we shouldn't certainly shouldn't be allowed to drive. It's the most dangerous thing we do. Let the robots do it. I know it's gonna cause a recession. We should let the robots do it. But I got <laughs> Two really off boxes. topic. I got really <laughs> off topic there. We should let the robots drive. Um, the point I was trying to make had something to do with uh, risk aware consent. So if we're looking at risk-aware consent as an approach, if the folks can understand that with regards to art, maybe they can understand that with regards to power play. Maybe. Although I, my problem with risk-aware mm-hmm. uh, is that risk-aware sounds devil-may-care. Sounds uh, like I, I know the risks, but I'm doing it anyway. Mm. Whereas... If I'm going to m- be aware of my risks and then do everything that I can to, to mitigate re- them. Yes, and reduce them. Yeah, absolutely. That is way more, I think, uh, that is way more of a responsible way to move towards it. I agree. I mean, I think that's what I think about when I think about RAC, risk-aware consensual I hate kink. it so much. You hate it so much? I do. Because it doesn't sound like people are trying to reduce their... It doesn't. Interesting. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I often think of it as like, what is the minimum level of risk that you need to take to meet your kernel need of what is that essence of the kink you're doing. Like mm-hmm. what really do you want out of this experience? And what's the lowest risk profile that you can approach that kernel need with? Mm-hmm. But if we're going to talk about kink, we should do that in a different episode. Okay. We can do it in a different episode. Yay! Cause I like talking about that too. Yay. Thank you so much for being on another episode. Yay. Thank you so much, Victor. Have a good rest of your evening. You too. So how was it intimates? Did you love something you heard, or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.